1: Hello, everybody. Andy Jacob here with the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. I have a great, great show today. I've been waiting for this show for a number of weeks. You know, at Dotcom Magazine, we always talk about bringing leaders in the space on the show because there's so much to learn from entrepreneurs, especially people that are leading the charge. And when it comes to leadership, there is a world-renowned expert, and her name is Dr. Catherine Ritchie. And guess what? She's on the show today. And we have so many questions for Dr. Ritchie. She, of course, is the founder and CEO of Ignition Institute. And I love that name, Ignition. Ignite your business, execute to the highest level, really take the potential of your business to new heights. That's what. Dr. Ritchie specializes in with her company at Ignition. We have so many questions. I want to get right to it. Dr. Ritchie, welcome to the Com Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series today.
0: Thank you very much, Andy. I'm excited to be here.
1: It's a real honor to have you on the show. I mean, you work with leaders all around the world. And of course, the leaders you work with all have this burning passion to be the best, and they take ownership of their business. And that's the way in which you're able to develop them into great leaders and execute on amazing strategy. But let's pull the lens back to 30,000 feet to start with. Tell us about Ignition Institute, and then we're going to get into it.
0: Thanks very much, Andy. So um, Ignition Institute was driven out of Uh, What I saw happening when I was in business world. So I came out of business. I started my career as a speech pathologist, where I worked with people who had had head injuries and strokes, and I had that privileged position of seeing just what one individual could do if they had a clear goal and the right support structure, and they really owned that goal. And so when I got into business, it was like, what's going on here? Um, There was so much wastage in the system, and we just seemed to get in our own way, whether it was poorly set goals, we'd say we'd do one thing and we wouldn't, we'd have very vague missions, visions, or we'd have quite good ones, but they didn't actually attach to a clear competitive strategy or plan or, indeed, the culture wasn't aligned and so forth. So there was just wastage throughout the system. And that became a motivating force for me. And so a couple of decades ago in Australia, um, various things fell into um, line from a timing standpoint, and I was privileged to work with um, a, a great leader who took me through his career And I really learned about what it takes to execute in the trenches. And so that's what we've been doing for over two decades. We don't do PowerPoint decks and so forth. We are actually working with building capability and enabling, igniting that organization to go forward. And we integrate both the uh, development and clarification of the strategy along with cohesion of the leadership team, alignment of the culture, and building the capability to really continue to execute and own that execution themselves.
1: Yeah, it's so powerful. Of course, Ignition is sort of the name of the methodology you use. And I love that so much. And of course, you support leaders seeking clarity and discipline and of course cohesion as they lead their organization through a transformational time. So let's talk about that. What types of companies reach out to Catherine? What's sort of the big conversation and the big problem that they're having right now? Yes, yeah,
0: certainly. So organis- leaders who reach out want, want to actually do something. They're not just there for window um, wiping and you know someone to check the boxes. They actually want to take their organisations forward, and that's something we look for for clients that are real fit. We don't come in as a, as a placeholder. And we are really – It's so many organisations are going through stages of change now. We're living in an incredibly hypercharged organisation, whether it's geopolitical from uh, pandemic and so forth. But many of the trends that were in place, I would have to say, say prior to COVID, were there anyway. We were moving towards much more online shopping. I think some people hoped that they could escape their lives without ever having to do with it. Hello, a pandemic arrived, and guess what? Your business needs to go online. You as a consumer need to figure it out and so forth. These trends were in place and there were many, many others as well. Shifts in work flexibility, um, shifts in um, mission criticality of the, of the organisation and, and the role that that plays in terms of attracting staff, the importance of diversity, et cetera. And I think what's happened with these massive global um, meta-trends, if you like, uh, they've just been accelerated. And so there are very, very few organisations that aren't needing to make some kind of change. So we start where an organisation is, we go in, we do our diagnostic called immersion, and we find out how how well-defined, characterised their, their strategy is, and that's mission, vision, competitive strategy, measures, etc. And if it's great, then we're looking at how to accelerate. But as soon as you put that stake in the ground, it's either a little or a lot of change or a transformation. And I'd say in this day and age, it's mostly a lot or a transformation. And that's what we work with leaders to understand. What are the implications of your strategy? How does that manifest? And what are the big from doing it this way to doing it this way shifts that really will underpin the shifts that you have to make. And we need to be very clear how they play, how they manifest in the external environment. We don't want to be inwardly focused. So we've got to keep an eye on the external industry structure and um, various factors that are going on in the marketplace, and then look at how it's playing out internally. So leaders who are wanting to drive performance have to work out their way through this minefield today and it's it's as much human as it is analytic, as it is technologic, as it is data, and so forth. You've got to bring all of these pieces together.
1: Yeah, that's so fascinating. Of course, you've helped transform you know everybody from startups to Fortune 500 companies. You mentioned the diagnostic, you know, when you go in and you sort of diagnose it, almost like a doctor going into a patient's, you know, profile and diagnosing what's going on so you can help them get better. How long does that diagnostic sort of process take for your company, Catherine, for, for a company?
0: Certainly. So, whilst we began our, um, our work in the big end of town in Australia, most of our clients now are mid market. Uh, they could be privately owned, owned by private equity holding company, um, variations in between, and some are social entrepreneurs uh, and also startup entrepreneurial phase. So we 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 can and do still work mostly in culture change work in the large end of town because that's just jolly hard to, to do. And so many organizers, there's so much failure. I mean, the wastage is just Um, atrocious. And we've got a very practical way of of ensuring that works. But in terms of coming back to our heartland, it really is these these dynamic organisations and the diagnostic therefore needs to happen fast. Uh, It can take a couple of days um, of interviews, a couple of days of analysis and then we can give a read on that organisation. So one of our hallmarks is speed with substance. And so we move incredibly fast. And we did a major change with a, a biotech company. I think we proposed on the Tuesday, won the business on the Wednesday, began on the Thursday of the um, of the um, in- interview process. And we were running a three-day leadership team workshop 10 days later. And so it was that's just a part of how we work. We're dynamic and fast and agile because that's what people have to be. That's what our organisations and leaders have to be. And if we work like that, it shows them that they can work like that too. So the experience they have with us demonstrates that they can work fast and in an agile and in a real way with substance. And they can't go back from that. Once they've demonstrated it to themselves, it's guys, you did it. So you know you can do this.
1: I love it. It's sort of the old fashioned. You put your money where your mouth is. You get in there and you really are like a tactical team that's able to help these companies uh, get through what I call you being a master strategist. And you're able to sort of get in there and figure it all out for them very, very quickly. When you go into a company, let's talk about this a little bit. Is there one thing that you see that is universal with so many companies that you just can't believe that they haven't quite figured out yet. What's the big problem that so many of these companies are having right now?
0: Certainly it's what we call the middle ground. And so um, companies have got better and better at defining their macro uh, messaging, mission, vision, even their competitive strategy, which, you know, very often they might've gone um, externally to get some help to assess that um, we rather work with the team and really draw it out of them and crunch it through. Notwithstanding that, we're seeing better work at that end, uh, at the higher level, because you just have to. You're not going to be in the game unless you can um, work figure that out. And the interesting thing with entrepreneurs is it's often not documented, but if they're performing well, you know you've got a good strategy in play. And so what we often do is just throw a flashlight onto that, transparency to it so that they can protect it and actually add to it. Um, And people can usually get in. In fact, everyone can get in and do stuff. So the micro level. So you see millions of people, no matter the size of the organisation, busy, busy, busy every day. And, in fact, there's almost a badge of busyness in some organisations where you don't feel as if you're doing anything unless you're declaring you're busy and you're busy, busy around. The issue is that that busyness may not be sufficiently aligned, connected with the overarching competitive strategy and uh, mission and vision of the organization. And therefore, it doesn't have the potency. So you're doing all this stuff, and some of it will hit the mark, and a lot of it doesn't. And this is where you have things like, oh, we can't prioritize. And no, we don't know what to say no to, and so forth. And of course, prioritization and saying no are always going to be hard, and they're always really important. However, we would say that if you can't do that, um, no matter if you can't do it with a systematic approach, then you're not clear enough. And this is where it gets to the middle ground. Everything, we're we're very much about looking at a whole system, not thinking of it in a linear step-by-step way. Notwithstanding that, hierarchy counts. And so you do need to translate macro messaging down into what we, as I say, call the middle ground. And very often um, the, the, the overarching strategy commentary is in quite conceptual language, which is okay when it's at that level. However, it, it can mean lots of things. And equally, we um, in Western cultures, and we've done quite a lot of work in places like Papua New Guinea and the Pacific Islands and various other places which um, teach you different ways that language is used. And Western um, cultures tend to use conceptual languages like communication and empowerment and such like. And they're great words because everyone can agree. But when you go, actually, what the heck does that mean? It means everything and nothing at the same time. And why that middle ground is really important is it brings tangibility to your competitive strategy and it gives teeth your plan. It gives teeth to where your investment needs to be. It it, it then allows you to prioritise, make good trade-off decisions. It's where you go, okay, how much of our time, you know, capacity is so poorly assessed. We come up with a strategy, we work out this huge set of initiatives, but do we come back and go, what do we actually need to do to drive and run our business day in, day out, to serve our, our customers, clients and so forth? Maybe 50 or 60% of our capacity may be um, tied up there. So we've only got a certain proportion. And this is all part of the middle ground. It's it equally is about understanding the cultural elements at a more detailed level. I talked about the shifts, which go right through. I mean, one, one example is around measurement. And often um, we had one organization that moved from measuring things measuring activity to measuring what matters and we got very much down to measuring the things that would make a difference in the plan to our performance as opposed to arriving at your end of year or quarterly assessment and go we've done lots of things we've done all these things and everyone goes, very good you've done lots of lovely things And that was okay when performance was easy, but it's getting tougher, more competitive, and you've got to get tighter. So in that middle ground, there's a lot of definition, translation, and there's a discipline. It's easier than it might sound, but it's critical, and organisations do not do this well. And it's where we work, and that's what throws up a good plan, good parameters for change, um, the role that the leadership team really needs to play, not just a whole lot of, you know, blah, blah, blah that I've written on flip charts and whiteboards so many times, but precisely in our organisation at this point in time, how do we need to show up as leaders to create the environment that will unleash and ignite our our people in our organisation and, more importantly today, attract and retain talent, which is harder and harder and an enormous cost to organisations as we see turnover.
1: Yeah. So interesting. You know, you, I could see that being sort of the name of your next book, you know, conquering the middle ground. And for the, you know, younger entrepreneurs watching the show or any entrepreneur watching the show, rewind what Catherine just said about the middle ground. It's so important because so much, so much of the middle ground in companies, in some companies is about sort of being busy, 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 like Catherine says, and it's not so much about being busy. It's about getting the job done and getting it done efficiently so that you can provide the superior service or product to your clients. Right? Right, Catherine?
0: It is. And it's equally looking. If you do that middle ground well, you can constantly find distinctions, whether it's to get some cost benefit over your competitors or whether it's to get some um, uh, differentiation benefit or cost-benefit that gives rise to differentiation, you don't see that at the micro level. And the thing is, at the micro doing stuff level, people get attached to doing things. And equally bright, shiny buttons show up at the leadership table and it becomes my pet project. And then suddenly we're off and running, we've added another thing, it plays out in a bad way as it goes through the organisation. It's, oh, heck, now we've got a whole lot more to do. What do they actually want us to do? And um, as we say, you've got to get very clear about where you're spending your time. And if you find that your your bright, shiny buttons don't fit into what's really going to drive your performance, then do them on the weekend. (laughs) You know, you've got to be disciplined to let go of that. And so, as you say, um, I think conquering the middle ground is very much where we want to write next. The other piece we want to write in is transformation because that is done so... um, The track record is not great, should I say, Andy, and there are so many practical things that can be done differently there. Um, And and the good thing about transformation is it's usually not in crisis. It's usually, gosh, we've got to um, really transform from doing everything this way to that way. How do we create that roadmap? If you are in crisis, that's a different thing. And that is an entirely, and I've worked with organizations in that state and you've got to really hold ground and be very disciplined, but that's a whole nother set. And the middle ground is even more
1: crucial there. Yeah. That's so interesting. And of course, you know, you're an expert, of course, at leadership changes and capital events and this transformation. One thing I did want to talk to you about, uh, and I was very excited to talk to you about this, is something I call big market pivots or pivots. And we talk about pivots sometimes on the show, but coming from your perspective, you know, how important is it for companies to be open to a pivot should things not be working well along the process and with the strategy that they currently have?
0: Yeah, sure, and it's interesting because the word pivot has, and I think probably off the back of COVID where we had to go, oh, <laughs> not working in the office anymore, hmm, <laughs> turn right <laughs> to home. Um, so, yes, pivot has become a, um, a, a, a word. I think um, I, I wouldn't like people to think about strategy as sort of ad hoc and leaping about. Um, and even in the face of something as dramatic, significant, traumatic, as COVID, you want to even get clearer about what your strategy is and how you've been competing because unless it's something like we are going from the slate board to the computer and we've missed it, our books was a good thing. I mean, all those bookstores that sat there and sort of went, there's no way that people are going to do online books and such like. There's no way that people won't want to come into bookstores, Amazon, sending them out, etc. Um, they they really needed to face into their issues much earlier and that did require a significant change. The um, newsprint business was another area. We didn't work in the um, book game, but we worked in newsprint and I'll never forget being in a room of editors where I said, so, guys, what business are you in? And I was almost shot down and I said, I'm serious. <laughs> you can fight all you like, but, but it's coming at you like a Mack truck. And so when you've got major change, it's going to affect your industry of that nature. Well, that requires a rethink. As soon as you see those shifts occurring, you need to start thinking about how you create a green field to start testing other models. And you keep your other one going so that you can then cannibalise your own, find the new positioning of that. Um, What I would say, it's about staying in touch with your environment. And... And rather than needing to do massive pivots, it's about really being connected and in, in a quarterly way, at least every four months sitting down and going, what are we hearing? Um, and not just from our um, the buyers, because we might have a, 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 you know, a distribution channel, but in consumers, what are the social shifts that are occurring? Um, what else is going on politically or otherwise economically? that we need to listen to and think about and how does that change our economic power our positioning our competitive positioning it's almost like porter's five forces which i ironically have just over there to understand where your power sits and how it may be threatened and what you need to do differently ahead of the curve so i don't i think if you keeping the strategy conversation going and alive in a disciplined way, it's a a really exciting conversation to have. Then pivoting dramatically shouldn't happen knee-jerk way. It should be a much more measured path. Um, And and there might be accelerators that you can do, that you can go faster, but they're not sort of knee-jerk, fast, you know, turns, Uh, and, you know, less with COVID. And then still, I would say what was working and what's radically shifted and what do we need to absorb? Because the more measured we are, the less panicked we are, the better the decisions um, we will make. And the more we can hang on to our base of our competitive positioning and then look, everyone's facing this new world in COVID, so how might we do it better than others? Um, Yes, and that's not to say, by the way, Andy, that pivots don't occur, but... Um, if you're doing strategy well, they should happen
1: less than more. I love that. I mean, that's great. I mean, Dr. Ritchie, pardon me for cutting you off, but I just got so excited with what you just said, because a lot of people, they think that pivot needs to be like this massive thing that happens overnight. And if you're doing the strategy right and you're, you know, getting together with your expertise and your consultants and your, you know, C-level executives every three or four months, it's a gradual process in a lot of, in, yeah. uh, in a lot of moments, right? The big thing,
0: strategy is not an event, it's not a document, um, and it's it's not even a process. It's an ongoing, engaged um, conversation underpinned by an organisational process with data flows in and out. It's incredibly dynamic and it's, it's both creative and analytic. It's art and science together. I think it's one of the most exciting areas, and of course, I'm biased.
1: <laughs> I love it. It almost seems like it's a living, breathing entity, according to you, uh, Catherine. It, it is. Yeah, I it love it.
0: Absolutely, is, and it, the more it is living and breathing, the more the organization, and the more people through the organization understand how to think strategically, how to actually develop and take pieces at their level of the organisation and bring it to life. So in a number of our organisations, we're now running strategy, execution and change programmes so that they've got capability all the way through their businesses. So what that means is if any one person leaves, this is anchored and they're really harnessing the intellect of the organisation and not everyone um, is is strategic, but people could learn and they play different roles and different parts in it. And you see it happening en masse. And we've got one client in Australia, a holdings company, and it's simply extraordinary to see how this is unleashing and driving their performance um, in, in a significant way.
1: I love that word unleashing. And that's so powerful when it comes to strategy. Dr. Ritchie, you know, I Thank you, first of all, for coming on the show. It's an honor to have you here. And of course, I know you've only cut out a certain amount of time, but I want to talk and get into entrepreneurship because we have younger entrepreneurs that watch the show as well, as you know, and sometimes they hit a roadblock. Sometimes they hit a pothole in the road. Sometimes they freeze in the frame. They don't know what to do. Maybe you could share some insight to the younger entrepreneurs on their entrepreneurial journey about what it takes to get through those tough times coming out saying to themselves, well, I'm really happy that I went through that tough time because now I learned something and I've gotten better.
0: The the actual principles don't change, irrespective. So our ignition method, where we we basically look at getting a clear sense of your mission, vision, competitive strategy, which is where we are going to play the game, how we're going to win in those spaces, what capabilities do we need to be outstanding at that will underpin that? And then how are we going to keep ourselves on track? And then the plan um, against strategic pillars. So, you know, the entrepreneurial businesses, even with my own, um, it's exactly the same. And you can do it much faster. When I facilitated sessions with you know, one person or two founders, you know, we can move through these sessions in a few hours and get that plan. And then they, They continue to roll it on an agile basis and you want to have some advisors around you um, who you can step back and sort of separate yourself from the business and look through the window. And I often find entrepreneurs are really in a pair. There's one visionary, typically, and then one who makes it happen. When it's a, sing- when it's a single person, um, it's they're usually visionary. And they usually then need people around them. So you need more than just you to probably problem solve um, through the crunch. And it is about building resilience. We use a really simple phrase called blockers and enablers. And it's just going, what's blocking us? What's getting in our way? And so when I was coming back to the conceptual language that we used before, like communication and empowerment, um, a lack of communication, a lack of this, and this a lack of um, being able to get into the marketplace, we can use generic terms, but getting underneath and finding out what's blocking at a, at a more specific level will provide the key to where we need either to get more detailed information or to start to create a solution. And so looking at what's blocking, what's enabling, and we use the three um, enough clarity, enough cohesion, and enough discipline, three interlocking circles. And the word enough is used because of that entrepreneurial space. You only ever need enough. And we use that those three circles as a diagnostic. Are we missing clarity on something? Have we got the CFO off over there or the board or the have we have we a different view about where we're going and how we're going to get there? Or has tension come to bear, which happened quite a lot through COVID, where um, underperformance was masked, particularly in tech companies through COVID, big returns, then everything hit the fan in 21 and now you had less growth and now there was often tensions between members of the team, co-founders, CFO, founder, etc. cetera. Um, so a lack of cohesion, because that is almost the greatest um, blocker. If you've got a lack of um, human cohesion between key players and you have to be able to debate and have the tough discussions together and come out through the other end, and then finally, have we actually got the skills capabilities to drive this out? And if we haven't, and often in an entrepreneurial businesses, is, is it on that execution front, and so and that's that middle ground because that's what a good CEO COO does. Excuse me. So um, th- those are a few tips. I hope that, that help. Don't wow, give up that, though.
1: That, that, the tougher yeah. the, the, tough the holes you have to
0: go through, the more resilient you'll be.
1: That definitely helps. I'm going to bring you back on the show. I want to unfold and unpack your entire process with regard to the blockers and enablers. I mean, I love that so much. That's really sort of a revolutionary idea in my mind because that really gets to the bottom line of what has to happen in terms of execution. Now, before I let you go, I wanna talk about team because you built a great team at you know, Ignition and I know you're around great world-class teams. I mean, all over the world, people bring you in. How important is that team to the success of a business?
0: Oh, it's fundamental. And I talk about the team, team architecture in an organization is um, a critical and under, under, um, underutilized um, part of performance um, driving. It's And it's not only formal teams, it's informal teams. And you want to use those dynamically because you want to get the right tensions between perhaps the formal vertical team and the more informal horizontal teams that might centre around capability. So for me, team, it creates an environment that people done well can really thrive, no matter whether you No matter your style, you'll grow in a team and you don't have to be all at the same level. With leaders I've worked with, I've said this is one of your greatest training grounds. If you've got the right people and a few really senior capable players, you can bring in more inexperienced young people who can be coached and mentored so long as you haven't got a territorial team who are out to compete and eat each other. But if that's done well, it really allows an organisation to thrive. It allows you to groom and grow people, um, feel great about learning, uh, great problem solving. Um, it's a very enriching experience, like we see in sporting teams, you know, the sort of support that comes in around when they're, when they're done well. So it, it's crucial in my view, and I don't think enough is done with it, Um, And I don't think enough time is spent practicing some of the things that need to be practiced. You don't show up and um, immediately be able to have great conversations, tough conversations, use different points of view and and conflict in a constructive way. They're things you need to learn how to do, Um, to get feedback from each other real time in open time is very powerful, but unleashing when a team can do it.
1: Yeah, that's so powerful, Dr. Richie. You mentioned that. It just makes me think about being a human being and continuing to grow and that's listening right. to other people's points of view and incorporating other ideas into the process. And of Absolutely. Course, right, you're an expert on that. And of course, I know you're very big on also the emotional impact and the emotional approach of business. We're gonna get into it all again. When I bring you back on the show, we're gonna call the next show Blockers and Enablers with Dr. Catherine Ritchie but I know I've taken up way too much of your time. So I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. I mean, this has been remarkable. I mean, Ignition Institute is a leader in execution and everything else that you do, igniting people's potential for business. I love it so much. So Dr. Ritchie, thanks so much for coming on the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series today.
0: Thank you, Andy. Um, It's been a great delight. We love working with entrepreneurs and do a lot of work in that space.